getting into um, you know, the structure of a captive, I like to use the three layers of, of what it is. The mine layer, the hours layer, and the theirs layer. Okay. But before even getting into that, think about being fully insured, right? We liken fully insured to renting your insurance. So I was talking to my college friend last time. Remember when we would rent our apartment, right? We'd, we'd pay rent, and if we took care of the apartment, did they give us any money back? No. Hmm. Our rent, just what happened next year? Went up. Went up, hmm. right? So that's what health insurance, buying fully insured health insurance is like. It's renting your insurance. And that layer is theirs. We're, we're giving that money away. We're transferring our claims. We're transferring our risk. We're transferring our opportunity to the insurance company. That's the one layer, theirs. When you talk to self-funded groups or when you're looking at a self-funded group, there's another layer. There's the theirs layer, right? We're still transferring risk. We're still transferring opportunity. We're still transferring claims to an insurance company. But we've introduced the mine layer. Okay. okay? So most self-funded employers become self-funded because they want the mine. They want the opportunity. They want to win. They know that I'm going to be better off long-term if I have the opportunity to win versus renting my insurance. What the captive does is it introduces the hours layer. So we have the mine layer, which is exactly like being a self-funded group. We have the theirs layer. We're still transferring catastrophic risk, but the hours layer sits in between the two. Welcome to the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. Healthcare is broken, and we aim to fix it one conversation at a time. Howdy ho, neighbors. Spencer Smith, host of Self-Funded with Spencer. Thank you for tuning in. You are here to listen to episode 48 with Stephanie Manning of Innovative Captive Strategies and or ICS. We love our acronyms in insurance, don't we? But Stephanie came on the show to help me further explain the subject of captives. I think we can never have too much emphasis on what captives are to teach the marketplace what the benefits of this possible solution are for small to mid-sized employers. And Stephanie probably does the best job, I think, of anybody so far, although my other, obviously, partners that have come on and explained captives did a great job of explaining it as well. But she does a phenomenal job of distilling down the layers and what they are. So specifically, the, the simplicity of what the three layers of a captive are. She does a great job, draws an analogy that I think is brilliant. I just immediately clicked into my head, oh, I get it. Um, so those of you that have had trouble sort of continuing to wrap your head around a captive, I think Stephanie will help because she's a teacher at heart. One of her colleagues was actually down here with her and just said, you know, really at the end of the day, Stephanie is a teacher. And I think that comes through in the conversation we have. So she's been with ICF for ICS for 15 years. She grew up in Iowa. I joked with her about corn and the Des Moines menace. Uh, for those of you soccer fans out there, and we talked about her favorite books, we talked about quotes, we talked about, you know, her kiddos and what she sort of uh, suspects they might do in their life, which was kind of funny. But she's just a, a very smart, very likable, very charming person, does a phenomenal job of explaining the subject matter in a way that people can simply understand. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Those of you watching on video will actually notice it's in a, a new location. We had a snafu with scheduling and I had to really quickly reschedule us on a, on a new location. I think it turned out great. So thank you so much for the people that continue to tune into the show. Thank you for the folks that have interest specifically in captives. Um, I'm here again with Stephanie Manning, episode 48, Innovative Captive Strategies, Spencer Smith, other stuff. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and kick it off, though. So, Stephanie, you're with Innovative Captive Strategies. You're an SVP slash shareholder. I want to make sure I get that correct as well. So, great to have you. Thanks for coming in from Des Moines, Iowa, of all places. I expected maybe some corn. Like, like I expected, like, there'd be a gift of corn. Such a stereotype. I know. Although my husband does sell corn, so... Does he really? uh, Yes. So, so yeah, so it's not a stereotype. We could be more suburban, uh, actually, and I joke... And this is not a fun fact for most people, but it is a fun fact for me that since I was five years old... I have lived within a 10 block radius in Des Moines with the exception of college and studying abroad. Okay. So I clearly like my, my bubble. There, what, there's something about the cornfields that just draw people back in, right? Or? There, Des Moines is, it's, it's the best kept secret. Is it's it? not as much of a secret anymore. It's surprisingly an insurance mecca. Okay. It's a great place for young professionals. It's a great place to raise a family, um, quality of life. You know, we don't have commute times, um, great neighborhoods, great schools. So it's it's a great place to live. Well, I've actually been there. So I the only other thing outside of my stereotype of corn and Des Moines <laughs> in Iowa is uh, Des Moines Menace soccer team. Yes. I used to play soccer in college, and in the summer there was a league called PDL, 
which is like premier development league. So college kids could, could play without jeopardizing their uh, eligibility. Yep. So I played in the Des Moines Menace Stadium where it was like 3,500 people in this packed house. And I'm like, wait a second. Why are there this many people at our soccer games? This is ridiculous. But I guess it's because that was like the draw in Des Moines, Iowa from sports, right? Is, yeah, have you been to a Menace game ever? Or? Even better. Okay. I technically kind of worked for the menace did you really yes the owners of the menace team not only are they a long-standing captive client but my mom worked for the owners for 37 years her whole career and so menace was a part of our upbringing so we had to go to menace soccer games and and well see i knew i knew it was popular (laughs) and and when i'm looking around and i I joke because we'd have 10 people show up to my college (laughs) soccer games like it's everybody's parents was there and then like it was this packed house with music and people are celebrating and there's all these you know everybody had swag and i'm like what is this this is incredible i still don't understand it okay (laughs) well there's even some guy that actually was getting paid to play too and we were just astonished that somebody was like on salary playing there and so anyways so that's the other thing i know about des moines and we won't make the whole episode about about iowa uh but let's know more about you stephanie yes. i want to hear some of your backstory we already you know know where you live for most of your life yep. within a 10 mile radius you did mention college and yep. abroad so i'd love to hear kind of your full backstory absolutely so i um obviously born and raised in iowa um i did go to your university of iowa go hawks mm-hmm. um, for my undergrad uh, graduated from the business school with a marketing degree and then I did go on to get my master's from the University of Iowa pretty early on in my career at ICS. So um, I'm obviously loyal, I think, clearly, is, what, clearly. is what you're seeing here. Well, so where did you study abroad, though? You mentioned going abroad. Went to London. London, so, okay, Yes, yeah. London, and did that for um, uh, half of a summer, and it was a great experience. Um, my maybe only regret is that I wish I would have lived somewhere different than Des Moines, even though I love it. Um, but just getting that experience was was awesome. Well, so I'm not too dissimilar to you. I'm not quite the same radius, uh, but I grew up about an hour south of here. And so my only tenure away from from Texas was uh, uh, my trip to Springfield, Missouri for college and things like that. But then, of course, as, as soon as I came back and my wife was like, I don't want to stay in Springfield, right. too. Like, what do you think about going to Texas? And we said, sure. So even though it's maybe about an hour, hour and a half commute to my parents, I'm still, I'm, I'm a Texas and that's the thing. guy. We, we kind of come back home to our parents. They help us raise our kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like we got both grandma and grandpa yes. they're able to help with kiddos. So speaking of kiddos, you got kids yourself? I have two kids. I have an 11-year-old son named Gus and a nine-year-old daughter named Murphy. Okay. Um, popular pet names that I've turned into kid names. And my colleague Sarah's here. She actually has a son named Gus as well. So you, how, we share how did that. this happen? Was this like intentional? I, did I like we plan it? I, I influenced her because my influence. kid's 11 and um, her son's one. So, oh man, well, Gus, so Gus, is it Gus short for anything? Or it's is not, it, it, is? it okay. is for Sarah, but um, not for, for me. We, we talked about August and just Gus just felt right. And he's if you, if you meet him, he's such a Gus, and I don't know if that, what that means, but to us, he's oh, I get, just oh, such I a get. Gus. Like one of our dogs, he's a he's a wiry looking old dog, and his name is Marvin. Yep. And we just na- he's like he looks old. He was a puppy, and he looked old. He's Marvin to us. Yep. So I get. So do you call him Gus Gus though? And they're like, oh, a, Gus yeah. Gus, Gus the bus, Gus, Gus man. The bus. Yeah, I mean it all. So yeah, he's a good kid, lots of personality, super athletic. Um, and then Murphy, is that, oh, this is Holmes Murphy? Did I that, know, like, I mean, no, is no, that, no. was that intentional too, right? I feel <laughs> no, like there's she's a, like not the mascot, although okay. she thinks she is. Um, Murphy is, yeah, it actually though, um, we came up with a name from an intern that we had that I just loved, um, loved her and mm-hmm. just, we loved the name and she's such a Murphy, right? So sweet and kind and just a great girl. And we have a great family. I've been married for almost 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so got married pretty young and yeah, we have a great little family, love to travel together. And well, do you think they will venture away from Iowa? Have they got indications that they want to travel a little bit? themselves? I know they're young. Yeah, No, we yeah. make predictions with our kids all okay, the time. Yeah, so for sure. my prediction and now it's recorded. Well, yeah, it's going to be we on can, air. Yes, yeah. On air. Yeah. I predict Gus will move far away from us. You think so? And I predict Murphy will live in our basement. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm curious when they hear this 10 years later if they were, the prediction was accurate. I right? know. Well, well, I'll circle back. Okay. Yeah, please <laughs> let me know. know. Um, so I read an interesting quote. I always like to dig into people's backgrounds. Just so the people that are listening here today, this is our first time to meet yeah. each other, which is always fun. So I go, all right, I'm going to investigate a little bit about Stephanie, maybe come up with some interesting questions. And I discovered a quote that was associated with you that I want to ask you about, which is, I'm going to make sure I read it correctly. Yep. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. So why was that maybe your favorite quote that was listed? It's a quote I heard actually 
early on in my career at ICS, and maybe the timing on it was just right. Interestingly, and I don't know if you're a Peloton-er, but my no. favorite Peloton instructor, instructor, Jess Sims, actually says it in almost every class that she has, too. So it just kind of feels like it should be mine. And actually, our team just recently celebrated my birthday, and they came up with some Stephisms. Okay. And that's one of my my Stephisms is that quote. And my kids would tell you that's a quote I say all the time, too. I think it just means that, you know, who you are when no one's watching is who you are. 100%. Yeah. Right? So the little things, if you could tell a white lie here, you're probably going to be capable of telling a big lie. If you can hide something here, you're going to probably hide big things. Mm. So in the little things in life, if you're kind to the barista at Starbucks, you're probably a kind person. You can't turn off and on the, that, those types of things. And so I also think just in our work and the details that we put into things, um, no detail is too small. We, we think of everything, the experience for our clients, for our partners, is I think one of the reasons for our success and why our retention so high yeah. because people know we put thought into the little things because they are big things. Well, then I, I think you can tell a lot about a person by their favorite quote, though, and I think the, philosoph the philosophy that you just described is not too dissimilar to the idea of how you, you practice how you play, being an ex-athlete right. athlete myself. That was just drilled into me is you can't come into practice and just kind of you know, walk around half, right. half asset. I'll say right. that half asset because you're not going to, your actual performance in the game isn't going to reflect that. So like you said, when nobody's watching, maybe you're practicing on your own, the level of effort you put in there is going to actually show up on, on game day. So I love that that's the case. And I just saw that stood out to me as like, Oh, her favorite quote. And I was trying to again, glean as much as I could. The other thing that we gleaned or I, I gleaned myself was that you're an avid reader. Yes. Um, definitely want to ask you, put you on the spot here, a couple of your favorite books. Cause that's yes. another way we can, learn a lot about learn a, a lot about yeah. so th this story um you'll be i'm the only kid in history that's gotten in trouble for reading because right? mm. you know as parents we project on our kids that they need to read every day and sure. how important reading is so when i was younger i would take books this is how much i love to read what a foreshadowing to to how i am now but i would take books to church and stick the book in the hymnal <laughs> so my parents i thought that they would think that i was reading the hymnal but really i was reading books at church and would get in trouble for that. So, That's, so what were you reading at that age out of curiosity? I mean, you know, I'm 40, so like boxcar children probably okay, yeah, or yeah. goosebumps or something like goosebumps. that. Goosebumps, yes, yes, I goosebumps. love goosebumps. Um, so now I would say reading is a hobby of mine. It's, it keeps me from, you know, living in the social media world mm. and scrolling on my phone. Um, I, I read when I'm on the treadmill. I read when I'm getting ready in the morning. I mean, you, I read when I'm waiting. And Do you do Audible as well? Do you listen to books I don't, or do you like I to read? I need the okay. book. I need the book, yep. and I love lending books out. Um, so I probably read anywhere from 60 to 70 books a year. Holy cow. <laughs> Don't so ask you... me if I've read a book, though, because I won't remember. I yeah. have to look it up to see if I actually read the book. Um, so most of the reading is an escape. So yeah. I'm probably, I kind of put the work to rest. I don't read a ton of, you know, business, professional books. But relatively speaking, I probably do read a lot just because the sheer number of books I read. But some of my favorites, and I think a good book is one that you talk about years later. Yeah. And, and that you come back to, right, and read again. So... I'll, I'm going to ask you a question, put you on the spot. Uh oh, no. Have you ever done an Enneagram test? No. I okay. have no idea what that is. Okay. So this is your homework assignment. Okay. You're okay. going to you're gonna take the test and, and let me know so what make your sure numbers. Enneagram. How do you even spell it's that? It's E N N E A G R A M, I think. Enneagram. I have to look. Okay. Essentially, you're a number between one and nine. And what I love is we take tons of personality profiles, assessments, leadership, all of that from you know, Strengths Finder to predictive index, and a lot of them are who you are at work or as a professional, the Enneagram looks at you holistically, right? Mm. So I am, and I'm, um, you know, I don't like saying this. It's not the number I wanted, right? Okay. <laughs> and usually they say, if you cringe reading the description, that's probably it's what right. you are. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I'm an Enneagram, what they call Enneagram one wing nine. So, right. right. What does that mean? No idea. Yeah. So it means that I am at my core, a perfectionist, Okay. which I, had a, I actually had a colleague come to me after she read this book. So the book is called The Road Back to You. And a lot of these personality profiles, when you read them, the books tell you how good it is to be that number or that profile. This book tells you how to be careful with it, right? Because how can you be an unhealthy perfectionist? Mm. Um, it's pretty easy. So I had a colleague come to me and she's like, I just read the book. I'm so sorry you're a one. <laughs> <laughs> she's patting on the head. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I know you it's so thing. tough being a one because we're just never really content. Uh, we're always hard on ourselves. We're kind of the people that like 
me after this podcast, why did I say that? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll beat myself up over it for like two days mm -hmm. because of something I said. Um, so I'm a perfectionist with a wing of being a peacemaker. So tell me about the wing. I'll explain so that. So it, it's basically like your, your sub profile or okay. your sub, you know, how you can swing one way. If you're not always a perfectionist, if you have a wing another way, it doesn't mean you're just all day long a mm -hmm. perfectionist. So I'm a perfectionist and a peacemaker. Interesting. So it's an interesting, and I do think a lot of it just coming with leadership at Innovative Captive Strategies, how you you kind of have to have the the best of both worlds with that. At home, I feel like I'm more of a peacemaker, okay. just family. Yeah. Whereas at work, I'm probably more, I lean probably more towards the perfectionism. So do you, so you, did you cringe? You said this is oh. super accurate. Okay. So it was the first chapter, chapter one ah. is this. And I was like, oh no. Okay. I'm, I'm probably achiever, you know, which comes later or something like that. No, we all have like the, what we actually idealistically <laughs> mm -hmm. think ourselves are. Yeah. And then the reality hits you in the face, you know, Absolutely. and you're like, oh, actually that is probably true. Yes. Right? Yeah. So there's, you know, achiever and challenger and peacemaker and perfectionist and the book, the road back to you helps you be a healthy one or a healthy five. Um, and again, it looks at who you are wholly as a person. So that's a great one. Um, I love anything by Malcolm Gladwell and yes. actually tying the podcast and books together. I listened to him uh, on Adam Grant um, podcast mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago and Adam Grant called Malcolm Gladwell out for every book you write contradicts the previous book you wrote. And he's like, yeah, that's what makes me good. Yeah. You know, I'm not stuck in my ways. Well, I, so the, the, his, his uh, I guess suggestion is that he's growing from yes. each book and learning and evolving. Yes. Okay. So yes. which, which of his, so I've read Blink and Outliers yes. by uh, Gladwell. Anything else that you've I read? Mean, Outliers is just probably one of my favorites just because, you know, it, it's just so interesting. I don't, sometimes I think Malcolm Gladwell's books, I just love them, but I don't know at the end if I'm like, oh, this is my clear takeaway because yeah. it, it does change a lot. But I love his, his storytelling and the way he uses data to tell a story, yeah. which is something obviously we try to do in our business. I want to add a commentary if you don't mind yes. on Blink because uh, Gladwell is one of the few people I've read more than one of his books from cover to cover. I am the guilty of starting a book and going, ah, I kind of get the gist of what they're saying and let me skip the next 200 pages and just be done with it. But I've read both of those. And Blink was one, you asked me earlier about podcasting and why I started the blink moment when I was introduced to the podcast at the other location, the Venture X place where mm -hmm. I worked, the second I saw it, I knew. Like, I didn't have to go and think about yeah. it and like, talk it over with everybody. It was like, I knew I was going to do that. Uh -huh. And so I had the blink moment where the, the, my gut just told me that's what I was supposed to do. And I didn't really think too much about it after I that. Love so that's, that's why that book is stuck with me for so long, I yeah. think. It's because people do have the ability to make decisions in literally a split second. Your intuition kicks in and things like that. So anyways, I just, I just love his books quite a bit. So that yeah. was, so we've got the Enneagrams, we've yep. got Gladwell. And, and then, then maybe I'm going to go, I'm going to go take way me left field. Left field. Yeah, okay. yeah. Let's go on your wing, right? This is, this your yes. wing side coming It over? actually is my wing. Listen. Let's see. Okay. Um, so this is a book I gift to every couple, mm. but there's many versions of it. It's called the five love languages. Have you read it? Familiar. I think What's it's on our bookshelf. Oh, Do geez. You know? We did this so long ago. <laughs> Tell me the, so what they are again. Uh, yeah. There's touch, there's acts of service, there's quality time, there's gifts, and there's words of affirmation. Mm. Can't remember. Man, I don't Usually know. guys want them all. Yeah, um, like, yeah, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. I, I don't remember specifically what mine was, though, man. But okay. it's just a book. I, I think about it so often, and it's not just about relationship with your husband. I mean, I've read the kid version and the work version. Now, the, the touch at work, you don't, you, that's not really you, welcome, but um, it, it, to me, what I love about it is that we tend to be kind of selfish in our intentions and, and motives, mm -hmm. but if you can show other people, you know, whether it's love or their strength or how they learn or what their why is, you can build a better relationship than people consuming what you are. Yeah. Right? So sharing yeah. what my love language is isn't important. I want to know what theirs is so that I can show it that way. And that's how you build relationship and trust. And it's a great book for couples, but it's a great book just in general, uh, you know, interacting with with people. Yeah, so. what I was going to, I know we were uh, venturing down this path in the chit chat beforehand. And I want to make sure I asked this question. So you said you just discovered kind of what your why may be recently. Yes. Was this, how recently did this epiphany happen? I'm like a week and a half into my uh, why. Okay, so <laughs> we finally discovered our why. So please tell me how I, yes. I fully fleshed this out. I'd like What's to hear your discovery. What's funny is the why actually, it was probably like that. It was like, oh, of course it is. So there, it's it's called a YOS. It's, it's an assessment that we took um, through work and there's nine different whys and my why is better way 
meaning there has to be a better way to do something. And it's about continuous improvement. It probably ties a little bit into my perfectionism okay. um, Enneagram. Yep. But my why is always making things better and not being okay with the way things that you know have always been done. Um, and so a better way to communicate, a better way to show this, a better way to tell the story. Um, and, and Sarah, my colleague is here. And so I'm not going to look over at her cause she's probably no. nodding. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's, yeah, she's li- listening intently. I can see in her, my periphery right yes, now. Um, but so I want to make sure because you're talking about a perfectionist and there's always a better way, but that kind of butts heads sometimes right in business, because what do they say? Perfection is the enemy of good, or I forgot exactly what that term is, but it's like, you can go too far where you over tinker and you end up breaking and right. sometimes good to do something is maybe the best path to go down. So how right. do you stop yourself from going too much into the perfectionist world and never letting go? I have to have people like Sarah and other colleagues tell me, Steph, A minus is okay. Yeah, you know, we gotta move forward. Yeah. We gotta move forward. And um, you know, the the better way isn't necessarily us, you know, always constantly changing. There is a point where, you know, you have to say, all right we've got to move on with this. It, it's, 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 it's a work. It's a plus work. We've, you know, we have to move on, but it, it can be hard for someone like me, but that's why you need a good team behind you with different strengths, yeah. different wise, kind of pushing you and working with people that will push you and challenge you as well is, is what well, I, agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's a fluid spectrum, right? Absolutely. It's not perfection. And then it's just like nothing at all. There's somewhere in between that's the right sweet spot. But for me, it's like, you don't get stuck in the rut of we've always done it this way, or it's good enough, or, you know, you just kind of compromise and are content. But you do have to actually take stock sometimes and go, you know what, we did a really darn good job yeah. on this. Like, that's yeah. good, or really yeah. good, or great, or never going to be perfect. I, yeah. When I do my software demos, I make sure to emphasize this is not a perfect piece of software. Right. If you would have built right. it yourself, it would have been a little bit different yes. than what we did. My goal is to make it great or at least obviously superior to what your current process is, but it's not perfect. And they will never, software, literally Facebook is not perfect. Instagram, right. 15 years are not perfect because there is no such thing in software as perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So yep. that also, that just helps me if in case something doesn't go exactly right, it's like, hey, it's just not perfect, yeah, right? Move on. So let's get into innovative captive strategies yes. now. ICS, we'll make sure we say both, but yes, so ICS is easier. Yeah, so many acronyms. But ICS, I want to go into captives with you a moment first. How did you actually get interested in captives in the first place? I, I think that'd be an interesting yes. story. So full disclosure. Yes. I didn't know anything about captives when I started at Innovative Captive Strategies. Um, I. That's all of us in insurance, though. Well, we all right. start. That does way. any does any kid dream of being in insurance? Some weirdo. Maybe. Some, yeah, some, some weirdo there does. One, but there not might me. be one person. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I've really never dreamt of being in captive insurance, but I do feel like I have my dream job. Um, cool. So I actually, I, I, I hopped around a little bit. I probably had three jobs in four years right out of college. And I was, my most previous employment to ICS was I was planning events hmm. and traveling all the time. And I, I loved the, I loved the travel aspect at that time. I didn't have kids. So, so cool to travel to all these, these great places but it was just a lot. Hmm. So I actually started at ICS as an event coordinator. Really? So I planned okay. events. So I, di- I didn't know how to spell insurance. I knew nothing about insurance. I, I, I had a marketing degree. Yeah. Um, so I started there. And within a few months of working there, our then president said to me, you need to be in sales. And again, I didn't know anything about insurance. I didn't even really know what that meant. But I loved that he saw potential. So I just sure. went with you know that the trust and... Um, went went forward with it. And at the time, if you wanted to be in sales, you had to, to be well-rounded in all aspects of the business. You couldn't jump in sales and sell something that you didn't know a lot about. So I spent a couple years in service learning about the program management side of our business, the risk management side of our business, the finance side of our business, consulting. So we're talking about employee benefit captives today, but at that time, we didn't even have employee benefit captives. So I actually worked on the property casualty yeah, side okay, of our business. Okay. And um, that's where the ARM acronym comes yes. from, right? What did you say that stood for again? Associate and Risk Management. Okay, okay. Yeah, yes. that makes sense now. Probably don't flex the ARM muscles. You don't do the arm, you don't flex the arm, right? Employee benefits. <laughs> um, but yes, it was from the property casualty days. So I spent um, quite a few years in property casualty sales. I really felt like I was you know, hitting my stride and finally feeling confident about you know, my role and the value I was adding. And then we decided to try employee benefits because for us it was, okay, we have 
property casualty clients. They understand what a captive is. They understand the risk side of it. They understand the opportunity. They'll make great fits for employee benefits. And so us property casualty sales people tried to do employee benefits. And we managed. Um, we actually this week celebrated the 10-year anniversary of our very first captive called Wealth. That's great. Yes, cool. on May Congrats. 1st. That was our, we, we, it's our firstborn, we like to call it. Firstborn, um, yeah. There's been 13 kid, more kids since. Um, so we, we started that first captive in 2012. And I think we underestimated the pain on the employee benefit side and the desire for employers to have something different, an alternative solution. And they were kind of sick of renting their insurance. And we'll talk about you know, how we use this rent versus own analogy when we talk more about what a captive is. But um, we underestimated the pain and we underestimated the interest and activity. So I did a hybrid role for a couple years. And there's a reason why producers don't have both licenses. Yes, I've always, <laughs> as a naive prior to getting into insurance and benefits going, what, well, why is there a property yeah. casualty side of the house and they yeah. don't talk to the EB? Yeah. Like, well, it's insurance, right? C-C-C. And I never quite understood why they were completely yes. separate things altogether. In theory, it's it's great, right, if you knew both. Um, but coming working both sides of this and being kind of unique in that, the depth and breadth of knowledge you have to have, the vernacular, the jargon, the complexities, yep. th- the same term means something different on both sides, even though it's insurance. And so I can understand now why going through both because the learning curve, it's like learning a second language, you know, how it's easier to learn a second language when you're younger, the older you are, the harder it is. I can see, I can see why that is because you, I was learning a whole different language. So I think it speaks to like, I have people, a friend sometimes are like, Hey, I need to get health insurance. Can you help me out? I'm like, that is completely not what I do. And (laughs) I wouldn't be able to tell you at all, but they just associate insurance or just health insurance with what I do or, you know, employee benefits. If somebody asked me a question about a life or disability claim, I'd be like, I have have no no idea. idea. You ask me about stop loss all you want, entirely different language, entirely different jargon. And like you said, you got to go very deep into that one thing to be good at it. Absolutely. I don't have enough capacity in my brain to do any of those other lines of coverage. Well, it's hard. It's hard. Um, so doing the hybrid role, anything hybrid is always tough because one side you're not giving obviously a hundred percent to one side. And I, that's me. I want to go all in. You have to go hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up, um, and this was probably for me the biggest career change because I had hit my stride and now I'm taking a hard right into uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of unknowns, building a team, um, having goals that are on your shoulders. Yeah. And, um, well, did you embrace the sales transition? Did you find like, this is what I should be doing? Yeah. Loved it because then it was not taking someone else's script from what a property casualty captive is and creating our own. And I, I love that stuff. I love coming up with what's the story. What's, you know, because I actually never use the word insurance when we're talking about Mm -hmm. captives because it's, it is a story. It is a conceptual buy. We're not, we're not, I say we're not selling insurance or selling a product. We're we're selling control. We're selling opportunity. Yeah. We're selling stability. So you can't you can't tell a story when it's all tied to to numbers and metrics. Well, you can you can go into the mechanics, and there right. is a time and for that, important. right? But I think that telling the story, taking them on that journey of what it's going to look like to go from fully insured or whatever their situation is today into a captive, kind of how it works, and past experiences of employers, you know, what their psychology is probably like in, in thinking about this. And then you can go into, well, this right. is actually how the finance works at some Absolutely. point. But if you start there, you're probably going to lose them because it's so technical and yes. probably a little bit boring, uh, yeah. a little bit to a degree as well. No, Stop I- loss is boring. I know that. Yeah. No, but captives are as fun as insurance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So just uh, they're a riot, right? <laughs> they're, they're such a riot that I've talked about it three times already see? on the podcast in see? the first 40 some odd episodes. <laughs> so captives, I, you know, I've had it explained before. Yeah. I, for anybody that maybe this is the first episode they've listened to, or they haven't heard those other ones, explain a captive in yep. your own words. I'd love to hear it. Yep. Um, so we, we joked, actually, I met an old college friend last night that I hadn't seen in like 10 years what exactly do you do? That's the the million dollar question. Um, So I personally like to describe captives as what they aren't before I talk about what they are. I think there's a perception that captives are a way to pool your insurance and pool your risk with other companies. And at least in ICS's model, it's not just a group of companies coming together to form a captive. It's a group of highly vetted, best in class companies coming together to operate like an insurance company. A captive really isn't, the structure of a captive really isn't revolutionary in nature, actually. I mean, what we're doing is taking exactly what insurance companies are doing with your dollar, and we're doing the same thing. 
So it's not this, you know, aha, new structure, no one's thought of this before. All we're trying to do is model what the insurance company does. And we all know that the insurance company tends to, to make a lot of money. So how can we be the ones that are able to, to be opportunistic with our, our dollars? Yeah. So I like to describe at least the structure. So getting into um, you know, the structure of a captive, I like to use the three layers of, of what it is. The mine layer, the hours layer, and the theirs layer. Okay. But before even getting to that, think about being fully insured, right? We liken fully insured to renting your insurance. So I was talking to my college friend last time. Remember when we would rent our apartment, right? We'd, we'd pay rent, and if we took care of the apartment, did they give us any money back? No. Hmm. Our rent, just what happened next year? Went up. Went up, hmm. right? So that's what health insurance, buying fully insured health insurance is like. It's renting your insurance. And that layer is theirs. We're, we're giving that money away. We're transferring our claims. We're transferring our risk. We're transferring our opportunity to the insurance company. That's the one layer, theirs. When you talk to self-funded groups, or when you're looking at a self-funded group, there's another layer. There's the theirs layer, right? We're still transferring risks. We're still transferring opportunity. We're still transferring claims to an insurance company. But we've introduced the mine layer. Okay. Right? So most self-funded employers become self-funded because they want the mine. They want the opportunity. They want to win. They know that I'm going to be better off long-term if I have the opportunity to win versus renting my insurance. What the captive does is it introduces the hours layer. So we have the mine layer, which is exactly like being a self-funded group. We have the theirs layer. We're still transferring catastrophic risk, but the hours layer sits in between the two. Yep. And the hours layer is where we can spread the risk, where we can achieve stability. We also have opportunity in that layer because if our group, our captive performs well, we can distribute that money back to the members. So the, what I love about the model is that it attracts fully insured groups that say, all right, now I'm going from passing it all away to now 80% of my cost is variable in claims. Mm -hmm. And it's also very attractive to self-funded groups because they get the same benefits of having that mine layer, but now they get another layer with the hours layer that they get to capture back some of their fixed expenses but also, and this is what I think is sometimes undersold in a captive, is the peer group support and sharing that takes place with being with other like-minded companies, learning from them, best practices, success stories, or even better, lessons learned. Yep. Uh, that when members share those stories, so that's what I love about the structure is that it attracts both fully insured groups and self-funded groups. Well, so before I comment, and I agree with you on the, uh, you know, the notion of best practice sharing, and that's one of the things that I like about the captives. Did you come up with a mind theirs and ours uh Sarah, did we? Did because it's brilliant <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering if that i wanted to give you credit if, yeah. you, if, you, if you guys came up with it I, I think so or allow you to cite your source if it was somebody yeah. else but the reason why i think it's brilliant is because you've literally dumbed it down to a level yes. of a two-year-old right yep they understand mine right they understand theirs yep. and sharing is something we're teaching right the hours layer and so yep. being able to distill it down to that basic of a level yeah like i immediately go oh that's yeah. brilliant so Good job. Thanks. Like, well, fantastic. And, and and part of, I think, part of why I love the storytelling and dumbing it down or using layman's terms is that captives do get a bad rap for being complex. When mm. they're really not all that complex, you just are getting a peek behind the curtain that you weren't getting before. Sure. And I love taking the technicality and the insurance out of it and painting a picture of it really is, is simple when you think about it in, in these terms. So, yeah, yeah the, good. It, it no, resonates. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm probably going, I'm not going to borrow, I'm not going to steal, Go but I it. think that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant way to describe it. And it's exactly right. Like, it's, you think of the layers and some of the technical names of the layers and, you know, yes. your floating Specific layers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like aggregate. Mine, theirs, and ours is in between. That's super, super simple to yep, understand. Absolutely. Awesome. And, and this podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end -end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at PlanSight.com. Now I'd like to get into, you know, some of the special sauce for ICS or Innovative Captive yep. Strategies. So talk to me about the actual mechanics. We do need to go in the weeds a bit. Yep. So structure the different cells, domiciles, and things like that. Well, well let's do some of the jargon yes. stuff. Yeah, so really, um, I, I mentioned earlier that the structure itself isn't, you know, entirely revolutionary. And the structure, uh, each 
you know, captive. Actually, we have 14 captives. So even within our own captives, there's variability in our structures. Okay. What I love, and we'll, we'll get into likely what makes ICS captives different, but it's the member decision. Right? These are member-driven, member-controlled captives. So if we're taking, for example, a floating retention, so that hours layer mm -hmm. for most of our captives is a floating retention. It sits above their self-funded layer. That amount, whether it's 200,000, 300,000, 500,000, is voted on and controlled by the members. So our job is to bring the options, the analysis, sometimes a recommendation, but at the end of the day, the members are voting on how much risk they want to take. Interesting. Okay, yes. cool. So, so I, they I get uh, they get like almost like you're owning stock and yeah, you have a vote. They get a vote. And, okay, cool. One member, one vote. Um, and, and that is very unique um, to ICS's model is that these are member-driven, member-controlled captives. They're voting on things from which carrier are we going to work with, right? Who's Who's going to 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 be our theirs partner? Yeah. Um, you know, how much risk do we want to take on the structure? Do we want to require organ transplant coverage? Do we want to have a no new laser contract? Uh, do we want to go to Savannah, Georgia for our next member meeting? They're literally voting on all of those types of decisions. And if you think about insurance, most employers would say, I have no control over my insurance. And imagine, you know, being your second or third largest business expense and not having control yep. over it. So that's when I say, when someone joins a captive, they're not buying their insurance. They're not, they're not, you know, making the decision to, to buy the captive product. They're not making an insurance decision. They're making a business decision. Mm -hmm. And when you're making a business decision, you want to have control over those types of decisions. Well, it's not even just control. It's the visibility uh, right. that you don't have. The lack of visibility, I should say, with being fully insured as well. So, right. yeah, with the captive, right, it's really a transparent model altogether. You're Correct. voting on all these things. Everybody's Correct. privy to these decisions. All of those moving parts are, are visible to the, the, mm -hmm. the employer, which is the exact opposite, right? right? When you're fully insured, there are circumstances, of course, where somebody's maybe better off fully insured or they make a business decision to stay fully insured for whatever they for whatever reasons but the inverse is kind of what you're getting in, in a captive arrangement which I, I'm attracted to just from a, a self-funded and stop-loss guy by nature this vehicle to transfer risk or to become an insurance company mm -hmm. essentially like you said is is very interesting to and, me and not to to get too much into the differentiators but I would say in general captives are more transparent than other traditional models but ICS's captives, one of our differentiators is how transparent we are. So I, I start, maybe it's just the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yeah, quote. there you go. Bring um, it no, back. Our, our fee, for example. So um, ICS, our fee is, is transparent when they join the captive. We get paid a per employee per month fee based on their enrollment. Most captive consultants are charging a percent of premium on the back end. Well, what does premium do? Goes it grows. So we, we believe that if we're going to be transparent, we have to be transparent from the beginning. So it starts with our fee. But that really is just what sets the tone for transparency in general. We, we don't share just aggregate performance information. We're showing the members how each of their partners is performing. And so a lot of times when we tell people that, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I'm, I, what happens if, if I'm not a good performer? What happens if I, my name is on the, on the page and I'm costing the captive money? Well, the reality is everyone's going to be that person. If you're in the, if you're going to have bad years, yeah. um, if you haven't, you haven't been in the captive long enough. So everyone knows that everyone is going to have bad claims years. But what we're also transparent about is what are you doing to influence your claims? Right? Are you, are, do you have cost containment strategy in place? Do you have a pharmacy strategy in place? What's your incentive strategy for your employees? How are you communicating? And so there's scorecards that members are seeing of each other. So our captives aren't a good place for bad performers to hide. Okay. Right? We don't have a model where someone can just kind of fly under the radar. Well, I get assume the there's not any shaming going <laughs> no, on, but there's no. a little bit of like, hey guys, what's going, why are we I not call doing? I friend, friendly peer pressure. Okay. Everyone knows that health insurance claims oftentimes are uncontrollable, right? And that's that's what the captive is set up for, right? For those unexpected claims. Mm -hmm. What and, and there's things we can't control, but we like to focus on the things we can control. We can control our plan design. We can control our communication strategy. We can control how much risk we're taking. And we can control our incentives, right? That drive behavior. Yeah. We try not to focus on the things we can't control. Premature babies, a lot of cancers, right? That's what the captive is built and set up for. What we use the transparency more for is not for shaming or for pointing fingers. We tend to use the transparency information more for who's doing it right, who's performing really well, what's their secret, what are they doing, and then we pull them in to share with the rest of the group 
what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, I said it earlier, just the undersold value of the captive is learning from other best in class companies. What are they doing? But I, what I love even more, it just kind of gets bigger and bigger is it becomes not about insurance at all. It's, it's business, right? It's, it's not about what, what the technicality on the plan design language. You know, I, COVID is a great example of this. The amount and the value that employers learned on how to navigate COVID largely came from their partners in the captive. Really? Yes, yeah. whether it was, you know, what apps are we using to communicate with employees because they're not in the office anymore to what are going to be our standards around vaccinations or how are we going to test, right? Where everyone was trying to figure it out, mm -hmm. they were leaning on each other in the captive to figure out what were some some strategies that they could borrow from, from someone else who yeah. was doing it right and, and what can I take and learn from that? So you start learning from other companies and it has nothing to do with insurance. And that's what I love. I mean, that's the, the, the joy that I think ICS gets at a meeting is, you know, we, we spend so much time prepping for these meetings, like months and months, content, the details, right? We want them to walk away and, and feel educated and find the, the meeting valuable. And we're always trying to one up what we did before, but it's inevitable that at the end, when they're telling us, at the survey, what they what they liked, what they didn't like, it is always what they liked the most was not ICS sharing the performance and renewal information. It was the members that are sharing not just the success stories, not just the best practices, but when they're vulnerable and get up there and say, this didn't work. Yeah. Right? Or, hey, this was our, our email to employees. This was our communication. I can't tell you how many times. Can I just take, yeah, just slap your logo on it. There's, there's you know. Well, what I, I like about everybody I've talked to that's in and around captives loves captives. Like you guys are enthusiastic about this. It's like, it's not a best kept secret anymore. It's right. not like it's a secret, but once you get in, it's like you're in for life almost. And then you just believe in it because I think, I think the belief is genuine though, right? Like right. I, I don't have to discern whether or not you're being genuine about what you're conveying, nor is it truthful, right? Because I, I believe with that openness and transparency about what you do, yeah. that that just comes across when you talk about it, yeah. right? So I feel like I'm missing out almost. I know, like right? I'm tangentially related Join to captives. Club. I need to get in the captive club. You, you know, um, but yeah, well, what's funny about it is that almost, you know, I would say 90% of people that join a captive are doing it for the financial benefit, right? They, they want, it's financial. They want the opportunity to win. The other but, 10% want to go to the Caymans? Is that, is that? The trips, yeah, the trips. The trips, yeah. Some, I joke, some just want to do something different. Yeah. Right? They're just so sick of being on the hamster wheel that just doing something different is attractive. But when you ask a member who's been in for three to five years, the best part of being in the captive, because the financial benefit is just such a given and, and built into to the program, like you're financially you win. Yeah. What they say is, I, I love what I've learned from the other members. I love being around the other mem members in these best-in-class companies. So it's well, just, yeah, it's just not like they're only talking insurance at these events either, right? It's like, right. what are you doing business-wise or ideas, right? Or what's happening in the marketplace? I mean, I think the fact that you get you know, sort of like-minded employers that are looking for best-in-class solutions all together in one place to talk to each other, and they're used to openly sharing about their insurance. I'm sure there's probably some deals that are being struck occasionally, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of fun. I do like the idea of the rising tide lifting all boats. I think I've probably mentioned that on yeah. multiple uh, podcasts is because it's not zero sum. You don't have to hold everything close to the vest. You right. can share good ideas. It does actually improve the overall health of the marketplace at the same time. But you guys do it in a way that's a little microcosm of the bigger marketplace. Right. And, and I think that's really, really cool. Now, I do want to talk about the right employer uh, for a second. So yep. who is the best fit right. for what you guys do? Right. So if you're kind of looking for that ideal captive fit, um, you know, we, we try to break it down into the two things that we're looking for, right? One are the quantitative characteristics. I will say those are less important. It's what people want to know, right? How, what's the size? Is there a geography? Is there an industry? Is there a premium amount? And there are in theory. So our, our floor is 50 covered employees and that's pretty black and white. And then what's a little gray is the ceiling. So okay. we see anywhere from about 50 to a thousand. Um, I would say that sweet spot is, you know, 150 to 350 um, enrolled employees. Can I talk? I, yes. I have, this is not the first time I've heard that 1,000 kind of seems to be the top threshold. For me, a non-native captive person, that seems like a really huge group to be in a captive. Right. So how does a really, uh, I would say on the larger end of the spectrum, employer still benefit from a right. captive? Well, first, they don't lose anything, right? So they still are able to capture their self-funded opportunity, and the risk is is relatively the same. 
What they gain by being in the captive is they have obviously additional what were stop-loss premium dollars that are now going into the captive, and the floating structure allows us to attract to larger groups. Okay. If it was a fixed retention, it would be harder Can to attract. Can you explain the difference? I want to make yes. sure you explain the difference. So a fixed. So let me let me use an example. Um, so let's say you have a group with a fifty thousand dollars self-insured retention, and then there was a fixed retention of three hundred thousand. Right. So the hours layer becomes. $250,000 yes. above their specific deductible. Well, if you're attracting a thousand life group, they probably have over a $300,000 deductible. So they really can't benefit from being mm. in the captive. But because we have floating layers, if they were having, if they had a 300,000, let's say they had a $300,000 specific deductible, the captive would sit on top of that for $300,000. Okay. So they're really not purchasing. So the margin itself right. is what floats on top of their Correct. own spec. Interesting. So, okay. so it basically what it does is it kind of attaches to each group. So it can make sense for a $50,000 specific deductible and a $300,000. So somebody that's deductible. not in the captive space that's arguing a thousand life group should just be self-funded on their own. Yeah. What argument are they making against them staying in the captive then out of curiosity? You know, I, I mean, I, I would say, I guess there is a, a relative, it's very relative, but it's, there is a small extra risk if the captive as a whole doesn't perform well. Um, not even them specifically, but their risk standing alone is higher because if they have a bad year, you know, they're going to take that, that stop loss premium increase. Whereas in the captive, um, they have the additional, even though a thousand is, is credible, they, they have the benefit of having 10,000 lives and being treated like a 10,000. Well, so has group. anybody ever come up with a cell that's specifically dedicated to very large employers and have a jumbo employer captive? Or I'm sure. Like? And we, we've talked about that. It's, yeah. you know, our, our, everyone wants to sell a 10,000 yeah. life group what's, anyways, but yeah. well, what's, what's, what you hear way more often is a bunch of 20 life groups. And th that's yeah. actually a lot harder. Yeah. Um, so the, the mega captive idea is probably even a little bit easier than the you know, the 25 life group that everyone wants because they have a ton of pain. When I derailed you, and I'm sorry, we were talking about the size segment that's yep. the most appropriate. So 50 on the low end, yep. maybe a thousand on the top end, sweet spots, 200, I mean, 150 to 250, yeah, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. What, a, what other things about yes. the employer profile? Um, so that's where I say those, you know, that's kind of a given, right? And, and from, I guess, from other quantitative, you want to find a group that is typically a better than average performer, right? If you're looking at a group that for the last five years has over a hundred percent loss ratio, we would say, you, you keep renting your insurance. Yeah, you're getting, you. yeah, yeah, you're getting a deal. <laughs> but if you're a company that is making the insurance company money, you're probably a good performer. And it doesn't mean, so there's this, again, misconception that, oh, so I bet you like young IT companies. We do, but they generally don't tend to drive premium, right? And they tend to be pretty well taken care of by the insurance company because they don't want to lose them. Mm -hmm. we, we like the groups that have had some hair, that have experienced those bad years where they've received the 20% increase and are now living with it, uh, right? Yep, yep. So they, they had a bad year. A couple years ago, they got a 20% increase, and now that's their new baseline. Those tend to be, you know, actually better perform or better uh fits for the captive because they've felt the pain and they're the ones looking for, Hey, I'm still living with this 20% increase, even though this person isn't even on my plan anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's what I always, and from the stop loss world specifically, you start layering on all the features of the, you know, no new lasers and rate caps, and you start changing all the levers to really experience rewards. And you start getting all this premium baked in on the front end. And then you have a bad year, like right. you said, and then all of a sudden now I have the new baseline where I'm starting right. from at a much higher uh, baseline than before. Yeah. Same thing happens in fully insured and you can't pull that back, no. right? You can't go to that fully insured carrier and say, Hey, no, my big risk person is gone. Re-rate me. Yep. They're like, no, you're here now. And good luck. Uh, or, or, or you're going to have to change carriers. Who's going to, who's going to, right. you know, reset your baseline. Right. So then and you then you do all disruption the disruption and, yeah. and all of that. So we, we always like to say, so when you're, when you perform bad, you get the, the big increase. When you perform well for the insurance company, you just get a less worse increase. Exactly. Right? So you're, you're looking for companies that have had good years and bad years, but typically better than average performers. What is way more important to us, and this could be more specific to ICS, is the, the qualitative characteristics of an ideal captive fit. Somebody who's, who's thinking long term, right? So not who's, again, the spreadsheet, the, the cringe-worthy word um, for any captive. I know. Consultant. I have to yes. say it in my job, and I, I do cringe at even having yes, to say it myself. It's, it's so hard. It's apples and oranges, so you can't put it on a spreadsheet. But people that are not, and when you look at a spreadsheet, it, it captures a one-year snapshot. And oftentimes, the captive looks more expensive, um, but it could be actually a better option from a cost standpoint. Yep, for sure. But you really start to see the benefit of it 
years down the road. So somebody who th is thinking long-term, who again is treating this like a business decision. So we don't want people to join the captive, um, or we don't want people to not join the captive because we're priced a little bit higher, but we also don't want people to join the captive just because the price is lower either. Sure, sure. Right? Because then the motives and intentionality around joining the captive aren't, aren't what we're looking for. We're looking for entrepreneurial companies. They tend to be privately held. They tend to think long-term. Um, they tend to want control uh, and a voice and a seat at the table. Um, they tend to have better than average cultures. So these people aren't trying to save a quick buck for, you know, for their cost and, and screwing their employees in the meantime. They, they're, they're wanting to enhance benefits or maintain benefits, provide stability mm -hmm. for their employees. They don't want to shift costs to them. They don't want to reduce benefits. So the culture and engagement of these of these captive members is important. Well, it sounds like just good, solid companies, yes, right? Yes. At the end of the day, like, oh, yeah. that's a good company. Yeah. You mentioned cultural. Obviously, they're probably successful at what they do, sell, service, goods, whatever. But just a good, solid company is going to be a good partner in general. Right. Um, well, one of the things I like and I think is not necessarily a new concept to me, but I heard talked about a lot more is you can actually enhance the benefits while actually reducing costs. You know, I, I likened it to if somebody starts working out and they want to lose fat and gain muscle simultaneously, right. it's harder, right. but you can do it. But, you know, the notion of like $0 deductibles being more common now mm -hmm. or, you know, not even having coinsurance or maybe you're waiving those coinsurance for certain behavioral changes, you can have enhanced benefits to the member and still control the cost. You can actually do a better job at controlling the cost when you have those enhanced we benefits. We see that way more. Yeah. We see people enhancing their benefits way more or as a self funded employer, they now have control over, over their plan. So they can craft plan language in a way that they can't when you're fully insured, or mm -hmm. they can introduce programs like a Regenix yeah. um, that you can't, you, that usually isn't covered by a fully insured carrier, but as a self-funded employer, you're not only adding additional benefit for your employees, but you're also, it's a win-win, potentially saving on cost as well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Regenix. That, that episode's not out yet, but actually like when Mark said one of the predicates for them to actually have that introduced is they have to be self-funded. Yeah. We both kind of like broke the fourth wall and talked yeah. to the camera. Like, do you hear that? You have to be self-funded, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I like that, right? That's where you get the flexibility. That's where a lot of this control comes back to you as if you were actually taking on this risk, whether through a captive or on your own. And I just love hearing about good solutions like right. that. One of the things that I did see on your website that's emphasized everywhere, even in caps, the word bold. Yes. So why bold? What does that mean? What does that mean within ICS's world as well? Yes. So I mentioned earlier that I have a marketing background. So I've had the, the pleasure um, in the last 15 years of going through three different kind of brand refreshes, new websites for um, innovative captive strategies. And the one thing, even though our logos changed, our colors have slightly changed, our websites have changed. The one thing that hasn't changed is our tagline of do business boldly. And I think one of the reasons for that is because we, we really do, and this probably sounds a little bit, you know, pie in the sky, but we really live it. And, and it's not just about who ICS is, it represents who our partners and mm -hmm. who our members are. And being bold is, is being different. It's being courageous. It's, Doing things, maybe taking some calculated risks. Yes, yes, yeah. Yep, doing things in a way that that haven't been done before. So we think it's it's not as much about ICS actually. It's more about who we partner with, um, and and them joining a captive is a bold move because it, it does take a little bit of a leap of faith. We we always say you know when you join a captive, just similar to when you go self funded, you're taking a little bit of leap of faith, but you're betting on yourself. Yeah. And and what's more bold than that? Is, is betting on yourself. Well, I think, you know, the cliche, the fortune favors the bold, but I think it's true, right? There's a right way to be bold. You can be bold and just right. be brash and, yes. you know, dumb. And that's not what you're obviously right. advocating for. But I do agree with you. It's a bold step. Like, mm -hmm. I want to take control back of my health plan. I want to have visibility, control, access to better ideas, better vehicle for transferring risk. I'm going to take a bold step. If it hasn't worked for 10 years in a row and you've been doing the same thing, well, now is the time to take mm -hmm. a bold step. Whether that's a captive or not, I do like that that's sort of, that's part of you formally and what you guys do and, and yourself as well. Did you come up with this? I'm curious. Uh, no. You seem um, to be good at these ideas. No, and I'm, actually, I, I'm pro I, I go back to the mine hours there and I'm, and I'm prob I probably didn't make that up either. Again, we're it, it's more of the storytelling. I'm well, sure. We all I'm sure stand somebody on the shoulder of giants before us, right? Like, I mean, like it's sometimes you want to give credit to somebody right. and you just can't remember where you heard it. I can confidently say that it was a marketing company okay. um, that spent a lot of time with us, and we, you know, those, going through that is difficult in itself. No one's ever going to understand us, and mm. they they maybe didn't understand captives, but they did understand that we do things differently and, and boldly. And bold, you know, it's standing out. Um, too. And, and at ICS, we do everything from breakfast boldly to um, we have 
annual pig tournaments on the basketball court. We do buckets boldly. We do biking boldly. Yes. We have a book club. You have a book club yes, surprise. Yes, of course we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, not run by me, but I, I do attend all. But we do reading boldly. Um, so it is something that that everyone talks about. And so it becomes what I love about from a culture standpoint, our, our clients, our partners are all bold, our employees are bold. And so everyone is, is always looking for the next, the next thing. How can, we, how can we be better? How can we as a company get better? And that's what I love about our captive members too, is that they, they don't just have, get better claims. They become better companies after joining a captive. And, and we can't even take the credit for it. Um, we have to give the credit to the other members. Yeah. They make each other better. Well, and so as we get wrapping things up, yes. I know we both have planes to catch. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to ask you, taking a step back, you mentioned you kind of stumbled in this industry. Yeah. You were uh, doing event planning early on and then fi- finally figured out, well, what this, this is interesting. Somebody that's young, right? I always want to position at least some of these conversations around, I'm new to insurance. I'm new. I'm trying to figure out my career right. in general. What would you advise somebody that's maybe interested in, in captives or just interested in insurance in general? Yeah. Maybe some, uh, you know, some wisdom that you could pass yes. along back to them. Yes. My, my, my wisdom at 40 years old, um, I would say, and I would say this isn't even specific to the insurance industry. Um, I can kind of do a little take on both is just raise your hand, do it all and do it all well. Right. Because, and not to use the quote again, but if you, if you can do the little things really well, people will trust you and start right. layering on responsibilities. Um, and you can kind of naturally, gain more knowledge, add more value to the company. So be the person in the room that raises your hand and, and tries everything, right? And, and gets uncomfortable and challenges yourself. I think a lot of people wait for people to come to them, right? And I'm like, be bossy, barge in there, you know, be confident, um, ask to do things. Um, and if you fail, that's okay. I, I'm a big effort person. So if I see effort, it doesn't have to be right. Yeah. Um, effort is huge. And so I would tell young people to not sit back and, and let other people kind of take their hand is you go grab, grab someone's hand and ask them to come. Well, I like the idea, advice of asking questions, right? Yeah. I think when you're young, especially you, you have this fear of not knowing anything, right? Or you, you don't want to be embarrassed because you didn't understand something everybody starts somewhere, right? right? So I, I wish I did a better job earlier on of asking questions and investigating what I was interested in. It kind of took me to around 30 before things started to click and my career yeah. went in a certain direction, yeah. a good direction. But I, I should have been better at asking questions early on and figuring out maybe I had this introduced to me, the self-funding thing introduced to me by accident and I'll discover, I discovered, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for in insurance. I maybe could have discovered it eight years prior to that if I just right. asked you some wanna, questions. Yeah, you right? don't want to look stupid. But what I would even say about that is for an ins- if you're talking about insurance, the technical expertise and knowledge is so important, but it does take time. You, you have to be in it mm-hmm. to really learn it. You can't just read a book and understand it. You kind of be patient with yourself. But the relationship aspect, you can start immediately. And this is a, this is a small community, actually. I mean, before we started, yeah. how many people did we say, oh, I know them. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have this person yeah. in common. So treat those relationships delicately because they're, they're going to be around. And most people join insurance for life. So those people are going to be around. Build relationships. Reach out to people. Pick up the phone. That's like my big thing with especially young people that just you cannot build relationships via email. Yep. You know, it has Break to be picking up the phone, meeting people in person, um, and and really put yourself out there in, in terms of the relationships. I wish I would have told myself that more. Well, and if you do want to go to the Cayman Islands every <laughs> once in a while, ask that question too. Um, last thing I'll ask you is kind of future of the captive space, right? Yep. How is this industry evolving? I think there's maybe a lot more players that are popping Correct. into the space. For sure, it's becoming more popular. But the evolution of the actual captive idea yeah. itself, where are we going here? Yeah. I mean, certainly there's more players, right? We, you know, 10 years ago, when we were talking to, to groups, one out of every 10 might have had another captive in the door or, or knew about captives. Now it's probably 50-50. You know, 50% of the time, we're up against another captive. So there's more players. There's also carriers that are starting to say, I'm losing my best groups to self-funding or the captive. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to develop products and solutions that are disguised or look and feel like a captive. Okay. And just, you know, anything... Carrier product probably benefits the carrier. So making sure you're, you're kind of looking out for some of those things. So that's a big change in the marketplace is that there's not even just more captive consultants out there and more captives in general, which we welcome that. You know, the, the rising tide yeah. raises all, I mean, that's the same thing. If, if there's activity and momentum, that's a good thing. More people are more comfortable with captives than they were 10 years ago too. So we love that. We I'm love- happy I have competitors because yes. that means people are coming around to the Absolutely. idea of RFP software. If yes. I was the only one beating that drum in the marketplace, I'd have to do a lot better job of educating yep. but now this 
this space is emerging and there's other people in it, if they're successful, we're successful. It's not like exactly. we're taking from each other because exactly. the marketplace is so of vast. Opportunity. Yeah. Yes. More products. And then the other big thing we've kind of a little bit talked about is just you're seeing more self-funded groups be, be attracted to the captive concept. Um, and so those two things, I think, is where we see a lot of the, the space moving, um, certainly. But yeah. Well, that's awesome. So closing thoughts, the floor is yours. Sarah, did yeah. we miss anything? No. Okay. She's, Sarah, did I do all my Stephisms? All your Stephisms, yeah. <laughs> There's some more. She's There's saying. some more, but thank, thank. I know it's hard to sit here for an hour and be quiet. So thank you, uh, kudos to Sarah. So I just want to give you a chance to you know, leave anybody, even you have know, message to kiddos, whatever you want to say. The yeah. Floor is yours. Well, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can say hi, Gus and Murphy. Yes, Their mom's yeah. not famous, but. <laughs> and Gus is the one leaving, and Murphy's the one staying yeah, in the basement, yeah, most likely. We'll yeah. see if that we'll, comes. We'll see fruition. if the predictions are true. Yeah. And appreciate you. I love, this has been fun. Thank you for the travel. I know you're here for other reasons, but yep. appreciate you making time. Nice to meet Thank you. Thank you. And talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Steph.